Welcome to the Need More Buffs podcast, the unofficial Light Seekers podcast sponsored by DeliveryCrab.com. DeliveryCrab.com, your number one source for Light Seekers cards and three points of healing. Welcome back, Seekers, to episode 45 of Need More Buffs. I'm your host, Matt Sonnenberg. A quick reminder before we get too far into the episode is that if you live in the New York, New Jersey area, or in the Austin, Texas area, or really anywhere in Texas for that matter, we have tournaments coming up in your area very, very soon. So if you haven't already, be sure to head over to deliverycrab.com slash tournaments for all the information you need and get signed up. Now for this week's show, I'm bringing back a guest we've had on once before, but it's actually been a really long time since we've heard from him. But this time, it's not just for fun. This time, it is once again because he placed well at a tournament. And this wasn't just any tournament. He placed well at the U.S. National Tournament. Now, I know it's been a few months since U.S. Nationals have taken place, and unfortunately, it's just taken that long to get him back on the show. So instead of going through the standard deck tech that we might, we're going to talk a little bit more about the National Tournament experience, because it was something that was a bit different than we've seen before. So I want to get some of his thoughts as an experienced card player, what he thought of the National Tournament, and then we will talk about his cards as well. My guest this week is Chris, who was featured back in Episode 6 after he won PAX Unplugged last year. Chris has been playing a lot of Light Seekers since PAX Unplugged, taking some time to transform into Dr. Atlas, and then ended up taking second at the U.S. National Tournament. The show notes for this episode can be found at deliverycrab.com slash 045. That's deliverycrab.com slash 045. They'll include links to anything we talk about, any videos, any other content, including Chris's deck lists from Nationals. I think that's all I got for you, so let's jump into the interview. Thanks for coming back to the show, Chris. How are you doing tonight? Doing great. Wonderful. How have you been, Matt? Not too bad. Keeping real busy ever since, I mean new set coming out and everything and the digital app. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. Yep. Good to be back. Glad to hear it. And yeah, we really haven't had you on the show in a long time. Like I didn't think it had been that long, but I went back and checked and you've actually only been on the show formally once episode six, shortly after PAX unplugged last year. So it's almost (laughs) been like a full year since you've been on the show. So I'm very glad to have you back on. That was the start of my competitive light seekers. It has been a while. Yes, yes, it has. But with Pax and Plug coming up again, it's about time we got you back on here. So this time it is because you did very well at the U.S. National Tournament, which took place a few months ago now, but our schedules didn't quite align until now. So I'm glad we got you on. And we're going to talk a little bit about nationals. Uh Nationals, for those of you who don't know, were held back in June, was that? Uh, end of August. End of August, thank you. Yeah. They were held at Gen Con, which is a, a, a big gaming convention we have here in the U.S. Chris, have you ever been to Gen Con before? Yeah, I'm kind of a regular. I started going, I guess, about 10 years ago, and me and a good buddy all the way back from high school Uh, that's our, like one time we always will meet up. We'll do that every other year. So now that light seekers is there, it's kind of a added bonus, (laughs) but Gen Con's great. Um, I recommend it to anyone who hasn't been to a gaming convention. 
Definitely. Yeah. I, th- this was my first year at Gen Con, so it was kind of a, a new experience being that it was a new convention for me, but having been to all the other conventions throughout the year, they all start to blend together after a while. They, they, they all have a little bit different flair here and there, but yeah, a gaming convention is a gaming convention after a while. Yep. Very true. In any case, Gen Con was also the showcase for the Lightseekers National Tournament. And I'm assuming since you've had quite an extensive gaming career, as we explored last time we had you on the show, that you've been to some kind of national tournament for some game before, right? Yeah, like Pro Tour and Magic is probably a good analog to that, I suppose. I've done Star Wars Destiny at Gen Con. They have their worlds there, that kind of stuff. So yeah, usually in the competitive side of card games. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So... The biggest change we saw at Gen Con for Lightseekers, this was the first time it has ever been used, was the advanced constructed format. And for those who may not be familiar, most of the tournaments we've played have been with the basic constructed format, which involved one deck of 36 cards along with the nine card sideboard or 10 cards back in the day before they changed that rule. But the advanced constructed was used for the U.S. national tournament. And this format does not have any sideboards. All players come in with three 36-card decks. Each of the three decks needs to be from a different order. And the order is, of course, determined by the hero that you are using because in this game you can go cross order so it'd be, it would get real tricky real fast if you couldn't like use any duplicate cards within your three decks but you need three decks three different heroes from three different orders and you're good to go then at the beginning of each match the players would simultaneously ban one of those three decks and we're still playing a best of 3 match here so you have to win with the other two decks that's, that, that's basically the gist of it. If you have any questions about that, feel free to ask me about them at another point in time. But the point being that this is something very different than we've seen at any other Lightseekers tournament up until this point. So I want to get some of your thoughts, Chris, about did you like the Advanced Constructor format? Yeah, I was actually a big fan of it. I wasn't you know, thinking I would be going into it. Interesting. But... It really made for some interesting deck building decisions mm-hmm. because whatever you put in your main deck, you're going to have there through the whole tournament. So, yeah. you know, you're kind of fighting this balance between having enough game against the aggro decks you're going to face in at least some of the rounds and then also having enough tools to win the long, grindy uh, control matchups. Very true. And that's something I want to get into eventually here is how you start to make some of those decisions. But First and foremost, I, I guess I want to get your thoughts on this. I understand why Advanced Constructed was kind of reserved for the national tournament. Like It's something different. It's something that requires a little more effort, a little more preparation, because everybody can create one deck. But then you have to come in with three decks that can all stand up on their own. And so the, the the barrier of entry to that is a little bit higher, but since Nationals was invite only, that means you've been in the game for a while, you've played it, you've probably experimented with a bunch of different decks, and this is something that you probably have the ability to do. 
But do you think that the advanced constructed format is something that should be expanded beyond nationals, or do you think it should be reserved for nationals? It definitely has a place in the competitive scene. It would be really hard, I think, to run it at a at a casual type event like at your local gaming store. You know, mm-hmm. it would be a little bit exclusive to the players that have been in the game for a while. Now, one thing about Lightseekers, you know, it's only a it's only a thirty five card deck. Um, the combos you only need one of, and the hero, you know, those aren't too hard to come by for the most part. You can get a lot of the good heroes in the starters. So yeah. For most games, when you say three decks, like it's really not as much of a cost barrier as you would, you know, in any other game. If I was if I was talking like Magic the Gathering, I could probably build three decks and light seekers for the cost of one <laughs> standard deck. So um but relative to the game, yeah, it's definitely more of a barrier for new players. I think that's a fair assessment. So planning for nationals. How much extra time do you think you put in to actually figuring out which decks you wanted to play and and how you were going to play them without a sideboard? You know, ever since the tournament that uh, won with Trianu, it was, I don't know, which packs was that? It was one of the packs, and then I think it might have been South. I think um, that sounds right, yeah. And then Paul and Weaver end up getting banned, and they mm-hmm. changed the power rule, and a lot of the community kind of wrote off Trianu and nature in general, but it really never changed. Like Trianu was always the number one choice and the build, you know, I was testing with Bova uh, exclusively for this. Um, sure. And later we were to form, you know, the team, but we started off testing together I mean, Trianu was always our singular pick. And then we were just kind of every other deck. We were just kind of testing we had a Ushi we really liked that was uh, had an infinite combo in it. Mm-hmm. All of our decks had Time Worm with infinite combos, it seemed like. But when it came down to the tournament, our decision was sort of based on needing to finish a round in time. So we couldn't play all three of those really grindy decks. Yeah. So we kind of went one of each was kind of the final deciding factor. You've got Trianu, which is definitely going to take a long time. And then Cassini. Uh, which is kind of bursty, but can play either control or aggro, depending. And then we went with Dolo to hopefully finish out our matches in time. Yeah, and that kind of leads into my next one. Uh, your three heroes then were obviously Triano, Cassini, and Dolo. When you started getting into these matches, or actually maybe even b- before, like, did you have a plan for... If you saw, I, I know some people were talking, if they saw a Dolo, they were going to ban it immediately. Did you go into it with that thought, or did you always kind of wait and see what the three were before making that final decision? Yeah, so we were actually planning on exploiting that strategy the whole time, which was why we were building all those really grindy decks, because something really unique that Dolo does, besides being a really consistent aggro deck, it plays Crushing Blow, which gets rid of your item. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the only effect in the game at the time that would actually get rid of your item, and you had to get it back out of your discard pile in order to play the rest of your deck. So we were really pushing the item strategy at first, which led to a lot of grindy decks, and we were just going to ban Dolo and then outgrind all the decks. But when it came down to it, we ended up choosing Cassini and Dolo, which were monocolored. You know, they didn't run any items. <laughs> Um, and then Dolo wasn't as scary because Trianu is naturally good against Dolo and they can get the items back out with the root singers. Yep. So it's not really, 
Um, it can kind of set you off balance for a little bit, but you can usually play around getting your item back out. So when you sat down to play against people, was everybody actually banning Dolo that you played against or was there variety or what, like I said, you were kind of known for Trianu. So did that get banned more than the others? <laughs> well, funny enough, the first day, like the word about the Trianu list hadn't really gotten out mm-hmm. and nearly everyone let me play Trianu. They would ban either Cassini or Dolo. I think Dolo probably was the most banned on day one. Okay. But Triano did take at least one loss, and that was to Fatal Zeph on his very last card in his deck. It needed to be a defend. That's a pretty sweet match if you go and watch that. <laughs> yeah. And he drew the defend for lethal. So I think that was maybe my one loss day one with Trianu. Um, by the time it came around to day two, nearly all my opponents were banning Trianu. Sure. But yeah, Dolo in part was also our third deck in what we thought might be the weakest. So if they let us play Cassini and Trianu, we were pretty happy. That worked out nicely, I guess, for you. At least until people found out about Trianu. <laughs> <laughs> so going into it with, with the three decks that you had, was there any matchup that you were kind of dreading, I guess? Something that you knew most of your decks were weak against? Or if they banned this one deck then you'll be dead to aggro or something like that. You know, it wasn't so much specific decks as it was certain cards. So Creeble Gesture is a really interesting point in this format, Advanced Constructed, because it's a really backbreaking card in certain matchups. There were times I ran Gesture in two of my decks. I didn't run it in Dolo, but there were times when I literally would just set my deck on the table and draw cards um, and just let my <laughs> opponent get to like 20 cards and be like, all right, Creeble Jester. Because if they're playing all defensive, they can't do anything until you put some pressure on them because they can't just throw healing away. So they just keep drawing cards. So I was really scared to play against Creeble Jester because of the style of play that I like to play. Mm-hmm. And then there was also the combo lockout deck that was going around. Yeah, there was a group of guys. I think it was four of them that came up with a pretty interesting deck list and really great players. And we did end up having the tools to beat it, but it was quite a puzzle to work out. So I never really wanted to play against one of those. It was uh, uh, it was pretty nerve wracking on the brain to try to get through that mess. I was undefeated against it one and zero, but it wasn't easy by any means. Yeah, I can only imagine when. You, you get into a major tournament setting like that and they kind of show you something that you've never seen before. You hadn't thought of prior to the tournament. So you didn't really have any experience testing against it. Cause I know that's something you do regularly is testing against all different types of decks. But if this is something you hadn't thought of, I mean, th- there's not really a way to prepare for it. Right. And that's the, you know, that's a great thing about light seekers when you get into those really kind of puzzle type matches. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of creativity on how you use your cards in the time when you pick to use them. I mean, it's kind of like cat and mouse or chess like is how mm-hmm. I've described it. You yeah, know? very much. So it's an enjoyable experience when it's on the level of nationals. It, that's when it gets a little nerve wracking. So, <laughs> uh, but like I said, you did pretty well against them. So congratulations on that much. Thank you. Moving ahead then, I think because there are three decks, like normally I would just ask you to, you know, drive us through your one deck and we'll talk about it and such. But here, I think I'm going to let you pick your favorite of these three decks and 
just kind of give us the quick rundown of what's in it. But along the way, uh, you, you can kind of break it down for us and tell us why it works and, and maybe what did or didn't work for you along the way, too. Yeah, so sorry to Cassini and Dolo, but you're uh, you're not the best deck in the three. <laughs> so Trianu, you know, we've been working on it a long time. Um, and we came we came to the list. There was like two flex slots in the whole deck. So it was a really tight list. Um, for what we wanted our game plan to be. Mm-hmm. And we wanted it to beat other Trianus as well as have a good matchup against the field. So this is not like any of the other Trianu lists that I saw in the field. Yeah. Um, so what we were doing, we had uh, five combos, Feral Rage, Living Whirlpool, Regrowth, Sacred Aura, and Vine Lash. A lot of people were going with, you know, the Mimicking Horror that yep. I had done back at the past few tournaments mm-hmm. um, and they were trying to protect that with uh, spectral web and stuff like that from my experience that really opens you up to being weak to aggro so i really didn't want to go down that road um it is interesting in the trianu mirror because they have a lot more damage output and it can actually be pretty scary if they set it up so we took some precautions against that kind of our analog against that or to do similar things we would vine lash and then feral rage so we can output, you know, 24 damage in a turn. Yeah. Um, so we have a bursty kill. It's not quite like kill you from full life, but we can surprise some people with Feral Rage. And Living Whirlpool is also just a complete blowout. You know, Trianu's throwing Reckless Spirits, removing one buff at a time. So the standard plan is you can just go crazy with as many buffs as you want because they're only going to take one at a time. Yeah. Um, so when you Living Whirlpool someone... There were several games where that was just very backbreaking that they weren't expecting multiple buffs to go away in one turn. I've run into that before. Like everybody is familiar with Black Hole. Like they mm-hmm. know that's the one you gotta fear. It's like it can take away all your buffs. But I remember I had Living Whirlpool actually in my deck list back at Pax Unplugged last year. Mm-hmm. And I got to play it against two people and both of them did like didn't even know the card existed at that point. Yeah. I mean, cuz no one had really ventured too much in the in the whole cross order at that point either. So Yeah, it's a great card and the other thing that is not to be lost is it has the order symbols on it. So it was really clutch a lot of times just by being able to pay any symbol. It helps me cast my other combos a lot more efficiently or consistently more so. So it was it was big in that manner too. So anyways, that's kind of the um the combos will kind of touch back on regrowth as we go through the actions, but sure. regrowth is a big player in this deck. So actions, I'll read them off and I'll talk about some highlights. Uh, Chrono Warper, we had one of those. One Colossus Skybeam, one Flynamo. When Flynamo was good. <laughs> Before um, it was banned, yes. Oh, now it's banned, yeah. Yep. Um, one Insect Swarm, one Creeble Gesture, one Storm Shell, two Spirit Channelers, two Blacksmiths, two Time Worms, three Confused Shaman, three Hungry Behemoth, three Moss Ridges Defender, three Reckless Spirit, three Root Singer, three Stump Drift Shaman. So there's a few things here. Hungry Behemoth is just one of my favorite cards. Like The fact that it's a threat in itself and kind of demands removal allows you to really control the tempo in some of the control mirrors. And also, something I've been finding more and more on the app is that the control mirror comes down to who can draw the least card sometimes. <laughs> so um, actually activating Hunger Behemoth to, number one, pose a threat, but number two, not draw through your deck too fast mm-hmm. is uh, is pretty good. So big fan of that card. 
Time Worm is kind of the highlight of the deck. We're going to come back to that. One Creeble Gesture, that won me like countless matches that I would have no other way to win. It's one Creeble Gesture, but there's three Root Singers, so it's potentially four Creeble Gestures if you want that many. Very good point, yes. Um, Colossi Skybeam. So, like I was talking about earlier, Vine Lash and Feral Rage. Skybeam's the other part of that equation. So, if we have a Skybeam out there, eventually our opponent's going to be at 20. We could easily finish them off with the Vine Lash Feral Rage from that point. Um, so Skybeam's just another one of those threats, like Behemoth, that doesn't go away. It's just going to keep doing its thing until it's dealt with. So that's a, a concept that I really like in some of the control decks, too. Um, if you're putting a threat out and it doesn't rotate away, they have to deal with it somehow or it's going to keep causing trouble for them. So Chrono Warper was the 30th card we added to the deck. Uh, we were going between, like, uh, Colossi. What's the Colossi you can only take four damage from? Artifact. Classified Artifact, yeah. That was that was kind of our last slot. And then we were looking at the Brute, that uh, seven damage from combos is a possible Umber last Brute. slot. Yeah, sure. Umber and Brute. But neither of those made it, because Chrono Warper, it was amazing throughout the tournament. Um, same deal as Jester. If you want more Chrono Warpers, you have those at Root Singer. And where you want Chrono Warper is the real grindy matchups, usually. It's nice to, like, rotate a ritual site forward, so it'll just... Uh, It'll go out at the end of the turn. They're not going to get any damage increase from it. So it has applications in the um, aggro match. But where it really shines is when your opponent's trying to protect stuff with Spectral Web. <laughs> you just rotate it all the way around and then remove their clutch, you know, their their Vine Lash or whatever they're trying to protect with it. And they're really not expecting it. Plus, it's going to rotate out. And since it's burned, they can't do all the shenanigans with yeah. uh, restarting it. Mm-hmm. So two Chrono Warpers, you know, one, the main one, and then a root singer back usually gets you through all their spectral webs. So that was pretty much how we won, um, you know, the really long game against Triano because you're both going to draw all your cards a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think up until that point, it really changed after nationals, but that Chrono Warper was really kind of an underrated card, I think. Sure. It, Cause I mean, especially I mean, it really is almost another removal card without actually being a removal card. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, it goes to the last corner, and if you're using it on something like Spectral Web, that doesn't, you know, do anything along the way. Yeah. I mean, it, you're not going to, you know, rotate out a card that has four damage on every corner. That wouldn't make as much sense. Yeah. But something like Spectral Web, that just gets out of the way on the next turn without actually wasting one of your removal cards. It yeah. can be very valuable. Yeah, and it was the combo deck, you know, they're trying to set up you can't attack them type stuff. Sure. Um, so Chrono Warper being a defend, you know, most buff removal is attacks, except for, of course, the Thunderslug. <laughs> but you can rotate out the you can't attack me, so then it opens all their other stuff up to buff removal. So, you know, Chrono Warper was pretty much the way we won that matchup unexpectedly because we were preparing for Spectral Webs with it. But, yeah, it's a great card. I'm running... Uh, quite a bit of Chrono Warpers on the on the app currently, so in different variations of decks. Um, and then the last piece of this, and kind of what put this deck into hyperdrive, is Time Worm. Um, Time Worm at the at the Nationals tournament didn't have burn. Yeah. Um, so you could get it back out out of the discard with Root Singer, or the thing that was so nasty. Sorry to Jordan, one of the Superior Seekers, for doing this to him, but. <laughs> I cast regrowth five turns in a row, I think. I might have took one turn off in there one time. But basically, I was down to the end of my deck. 
Um, I would shuffle back a combo plus one card to pay for regrowth. Regrowth would get uh, Time Worm plus something else. Then the Time Worm would take the next turn and give me the regrowth, and I probably drew the combo back that I'd cast the regrowth with. So the regrowth usually um, was the last thing I was going to play in the game, and I was going to start getting it back with Time Worms. There's not a lot of decks that can beat that just because of the... You just think about all the buffs that are in this deck, like Hunger Behemoth and Monster Ridge Defenders. Um, those things are going to cause big problems if you're bringing them back out of there. Yeah. Or if you just wanted to get a Vine Lash back out and actually finish the game, you know, you have you also have infinite Vine Lashes. Um, so you don't actually have to protect them. You can just cast them until your opponent's out of ways to deal with them. Unfortunately, that never happens because they just run out of cards before you can cast them that many times. But <laughs> in theory, you could actually kill them. But... Um, more often than not, they would run out cards. So when people figured out what we were doing with Time Worm, that's in, in that in the you know the top eight or the top sixteen. Mm-hmm. I think that's when they started banning it because the decks can kind of fight us up until the point where we quit playing fair and we were doing infinite loop at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, and then it, there's no way. Um, I did play against one other infinite deck that was really good. It was a a Korra that would loop with I think it's Spirit Gate to put your combos back. And one of those combos was put all your combos back in your deck. Sure. And that was another interesting infinite loop. I, I didn't get to play infinite deck versus infinite deck, though. But uh, <laughs> I don't know what would happen then. Yeah, that, that could have been a very interesting match that could go on forever, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a great build for the tournament. I think that the Play Fusion guys have done a good job limiting what options you have to have infinite decks yeah they really kind of break the game if you can have a certain game plan that at the end of it you just never run out of stuff Mm -hmm. so it's good that they've really focused on doing that there's still a few ways out there to do some infinite loops uh but it's a lot more work now (laughs) yes yes It's, it's some require a little more setup and that type of thing but uh it's going to be at the point where They've gotten the majority of it out of the way, and that's the best we can ask for right now, I think. Yep. Trianu's still fighting at the top tables for sure. It's uh, a lot of green running around on the app. That's what I've heard, yeah. All right. Well, congratulations once again on, I believe, your second place finish. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... <laughs> no, that's correct. The, uh, I have the, I have the small trophy. <laughs> ooh, I never did get a close-up of those trophies. Maybe you'll have to send me a picture of that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, congratulations. That's, that's quite the achievement. I have to say it's, it's something I can only dream about. So yeah, that, uh, that finals match, uh, the game three with Nick, I would, uh, or TPK gaming, yeah. uh, it's his screen name. I would really recommend people take a look at that. Nick knew exactly, you know, what was going on. Um, I knew exactly what was going on because the final game, we were playing uh, each other's most known deck. So he was playing his Trianu. I was playing my Cassini. I had a read on him that he had a really weak hand. And I was I took a really weird line to where I was discarding cards for Cassini instead of trying to draw into extra things. There were so many turns that game where he was one point from dead. <laughs> and he kept drawing the cards to get out of it. It was a great match. So I'll just kind of preface it with that. And you can kind of watch for that near the end. All right. Yeah, I will definitely do that. I'll, I'll be sure to either put a link to that or maybe even just post the video straight in the show notes for this episode so you can check that out. But yeah, I watched some of those finals matches and there's a lot of good stuff going on there. 
like you were saying, sometimes it's not necessarily about the cards that you put in the deck, but how you put them to use and how you use them in certain situations. You can always find new ways to play with old cards. For sure. Yeah, and reading reading how your opponent is playing, all the information your opponent's giving you, how they're playing their cards as far as like how they're sequencing things or how desperate they might seem in a certain situation. When they're doing things that are not really ideal, you can start getting a read and you change up your strategy a little bit. So a lot of light seekers is playing off of what your opponent's doing and also trying to control their strategy and keeping the tempo of the game in your favor. Yeah, definitely. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your first ever light seekers nationals experience with us. Hopefully there'll be more to come for sure. And are we going to be able to see you at PAX Unplugged this year? Do you know? I'm trying to make it happen. I haven't figured that out just yet. And I'm also not, I'm a little reluctant because I haven't heard anything announced. Um, so I'm kind of holding for Play Fusion. I'm really interested to see. They said they had some really neat plans for the upcoming organized play mm-hmm. uh, season. Yeah. I don't know if it'll start with PAX Unplugged since it's still this year instead of next <laughs> calendar year. So maybe PAX Unplugged will be a little bit of a lull as far as Lightseekers organized play goes, but who knows? Maybe they'll pull something out before then. But They could um, surprise us. Yeah, definitely. I've been traveling to every PAX since PAX Unplugged. Yeah. Uh, even went out to West in Seattle and helped uh, play Fusion demo a little bit, which was pretty fun. So I might skip one if they're not doing a big event there. It's possible, but you never know. I could decide the week of like, like PAX West. So. <laughs> All right. Sounds like a plan. Hopefully we'll see you there, but if not, I'm sure we'll see you soon. Yep, for sure. Hopefully I'll make one of the delivery crab circuits. Shameless plug for Matt and the good work he's doing. Um, So check out that tournament series. And uh, if one's close to me, I'll try to make it out. Thank you very much for that. All right. right. Good chat with you, Matt. You too. We'll see you around. Yep. Bye. And there you have it. We got some fantastic insights from Chris, not only from his experiences at Nationals, but into deck building as well. Once again, the show notes for this episode can be found at deliverycrab.com slash 045. I also encourage you to check out deliverycrab.com slash tournaments. We have many tournaments coming up, not only this month, but next month, and we'll have some more coming up in December as well. But I think that's all we got for now. So until next week. I got some more deliveries to make.